Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 15. The New King James Version. The Bible says, catch us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. So we are in the third week of our series, Little Foxes, and we've said a lot of things, so go back on YouTube or wherever, find find the sermons and listen. I think you need to do that. But I said upfront from the very first week that my objective was twofold, all right? So we just want to make sure that we are measuring and tracking to the objective. The first thing I said was that I hope that I'm able to stir you up enough to the point where you search your life for the little foxes. Do you remember that? Yes? Am I talking to a different church? Did I drive into the wrong parking lot this morning? That's what I said, right? That you, you search your hearts and figure out what the little foxes in your life are. Because for everyone, it's different. And I hope you're starting to do that now. And if you haven't done that, this is a good week to think about that. Because you need to catch the little foxes. I said the second objective was to talk about specific little foxes that I felt like God had laid upon my heart that we needed to address. And so week one, we spoke about idolatry, right? We said no other gods. And week two, we spoke about worry, the many faces of worry and anxiety. Praise the Lord. So I want to press in today, and I, want to, I don't have too much time to go into any kind of recaps whatsoever. Um, but let me start off from this point. In Scripture, you find a parallel saying, okay, to the fact that, well, what's the, the saying? The little foxes spoil the vines, right? It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. The, the parallel saying you find in Scripture is when Paul talks about the fact that a little leaven leavens the lump. So a little leaven leavens the lump, right? Um, and what's leaven? Leaven is Old English. <laughs> new or old King James English for yeast. Yeast. How many of you know what yeast is? How many of you bake? How many of you eat bread? Okay. <laughs> yeast is that thing that they put into the dough when they knead the dough. All right. It's just a little piece, a little sprinkle of yeast. And for some reason, it has the capacity to make the entire thing rise up or swell or expand, whatever that means. And then you put it in the oven. And that's why, you know, um, Jesus, <laughs> in separate instances, was talking about the fact that you should be weary or careful about yeast. Yeast in Scripture is a metaphor for sin or corruption. And it's the same principle of little foxes because it says that just a little bit of yeast is going to leaven the entire lump. All right, Paul said that to the Galatian church. He said it to the church in Corinth as well, that it takes just a little bit, not a lot. And these little foxes are just like that. It doesn't take a huge thing. It takes just a little thing to impact on your relationship with God. And we said that little foxes become big monsters. All right, we said that little foxes have the capacity to hinder or to damage your fruit, your, product- your productivity as it comes to your, pertains to your relationship with God. Let's talk about yeast or leaven for a little bit. In the Old Testament, right, um, if you're not familiar with the story, the children of Israel were in captivity for 430 years. God sent a man called Moses to them. And Moses had a job description, deliver my people from captivity. Sounds simple, right? 
<laughs> set my people free. And Moses shows up before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is very stubborn, very hard-headed. And they go back and forth. There are ten plagues in Egypt, right? Water becomes blood, locust, boils, flies, darkness, all right? Ultimately, the death of all the firstborn son of the Egyptians. But before the tenth plague, God gives them an ordinance, as it were, called the Passover. God tells the people, take a lamb. Now, the lamb must be less than one year old, must be without blemish. Keep this lamb for 14 days in your house. On the 14th day, kill the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb, sprinkle it on your windows and on the doorposts and the lintels, and you shall roast with fire the meat. Then you will eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Unleavened bread, specifically unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And we know from scripture that Jesus in the New Testament is our Passover. That was a symbol of Jesus. We know that Jesus, it's his blood that was shed for our sins, obviously. We know that Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life, all right? And we are members of the body of Christ. So the body of Christ, as it were, is the church, you and I, and you are a unit of that body. And so in your life, if the Bible says to us that a little leaven <laughs> leavens the entire lump, it means also that in your life, as a piece of bread, just a little yeast is going to leaven the lump. Just a little thing in your life can do damage to the relationship that you have with Jesus. It doesn't take the big things. And in our minds, I don't even know why we think some things are really, really big deals. Like if, if I said to you now that, um, <laughs> that sometime during the week I went to a shrine, all of you are going to say, ah, oh, pastor, you are going to hell, you backslidden. But if I tell you that during the week I got angry and I said something wrong, you'd be like, yeah, it's fine. We all, it's all right. It's okay. It's well with your soul, right? There's something called holy anger, <laughs> righteous indignation. Because in our minds, we've compartmentalized and say so some things are really, really big deals and some things are not so big. But it's those little things, Scripture tells us, that have the potential to do great damage Little foxes grow. They ultimately become big monsters. So today I want to talk about the little fox of offense and unforgiveness. Hey, <laughs> this one's going to be difficult. Offense and unforgiveness. And so the title of my topic is on the screen. To err is human. To forgive is divine. <laughs> Jesus, help us. To forgive is divine. That's a saying by a guy called Alexander Pope, I believe, a British guy. Um, and what this guy is saying is scriptural. What he's saying is that if, <laughs> if you want the topic of offense and unforgiveness to be completely irrelevant in your life, there's only one solution. You cease to be a human being. Do you understand what that means? If you ever want to say, I don't ever want to deal with this whole, this thing that pastor's talking about today is not relevant to me. The only solution you have is that you migrate from the class of human beings to the class of apes. Even in the animal kingdom, there's offense. Do you understand? That's what he's trying to say, that if you're human, if you live on the earth, this concept of offense and forgiveness or unforgiveness will be relevant to you. There is no way to avoid it. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of tongues you can speak to save you from this concept of unforgiveness and offense. To err is human, it's in it, it's in our nature to offend people and to be offended. 
It's in our nature. So when people act shocked that, they were, that someone offended them, or that someone said that you offended them and you're shocked, I can't believe she's offended. Why will she not be offended? To err is human. It's human. It's completely scriptural. So everyone will be offended, and everyone will offend. You will be offended. I promise you this year, some, <laughs> someone will offend you. Whether it's on the 416 or the 417, hmm, or in the office, or on a team's call, when someone says, now everybody please put on your cameras, that person has offended me. That person has offended me. God would have to settle this issue. I'm not in the mood. <laughs> like, I have my, my kids in the background. You're telling me to put on my camera. You want to spoil my career. Anyways, someone will offend you this year, and you will definitely offend someone. It's human. It's human. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, says to us that <laughs> it is impossible. This is Jesus Christ. He said it is impossible that offenses will not come. Impossible. That's a very strong word. It is impossible that offenses will not come. <laughs> in other words, plan for it, prepare for it, because it will come. It will come. And, and the fact that Jesus is the one saying this, by the way, by the way, it's such a common thing. Even in the camp of Jesus, there were, there were offenses. There was a time when the other disciples were upset with John and, um, what's his brother's name? James and John. They were upset at them. There was a point, Peter was angry with Jesus. He rebuked him. Jesus said, I'm going to die. Peter said, you, you always say rubbish. Stop saying that. And Jesus said, I rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me. In the camp of Jesus, Jesus is pastoring a church of 12. Only 12 people, and there's offense. So tell me how you will avoid offense. So what Jesus is basically saying, in other words, is that God is aware that offenses will come. God is saying, I'm aware that your roommate will have the anointing to annoy. Yeah. I'm aware that your wife, <clears throat> on a Saturday night, will tell you to help her iron or press a shirt that she's going to wear on Sunday, and on Sunday she will not wear it. <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm aware that you will be offended. I'm aware that your pastor will complain about something on Sunday. And then you will spend all night in church working to fix it. And he will not even acknowledge. He will complain about something else the next week. They know themselves. <laughs> Let's not look in that corner over there. God said, I'm aware. It is impossible that offenses will not come. It's impossible. The only way you have to migrate, leave this planet, go to Mars, and immediately a second human being shows up there, offenses start. Offenses start there. Jesus said it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through which they do come. I'm aware that your friends will talk bad about you behind your back. I'm aware that the people you trust the most will betray you. That's what God Jesus just said. I'm aware. I'm not, this should not shock you or anything of that nature, but my awareness does not change my expectation. Now, that's a problem because I don't like that part. If you know that offenses will come, if you know that it can really hurt when people do things to us, why then do you have this expectation, this unrealistic expectation of us, in my opinion, that I will forgive people? That I will just let it go? 
Why? I'm aware, but I still have the expectation. The reason why is simple, because the entire basis, the foundation, the structure that holds up this expectation that God has for us is this principle, to whom much has been given, much will be required. That's the principle. And that's why God will, there will never be an excuse from God's point of view for any of us to walk in unforgiveness. He will never allow that. It, there's no justification because to whom much has been given or committed to, much is also expected. That's the basis of God's expectation. That's why it's fair and just for him to expect that someone does you much damage. Much damage. I mean, <laughs> and God says you should forgive the person. Someone really, really hurts you. Someone steals your girlfriend or your boyfriend or even snatches your wife or your husband. Because we're talking about little things. We're never getting to deep things like, you know, parental abandonment and things like that. That really cause like deep hurts that keep us in a place, in a dark place. And God is looking at you like, I expect you to forgive. I'm going, what? You expect me to do what now? Let's forgive this person when we get to heaven. And God says, no, forgiveness is not for heaven. It's for here. It's for here. I just remember this story about stealing girlfriends. Let's not go there. Someone stole my... Anyways. <laughs> Let's not go there. Talk about that another day. What a joke. <laughs> God has been watching over me for a long time. Someone stole a girl that... I was, on, I was not saved, please. Okay? I wasn't saved this time. My very good friend met this girl, and the girl was talking to him and saying, I want you to introduce me to your friend. Now, this guy ended up taking the girl for himself. I didn't know this until one day I got a phone call, panicked phone call from my friend. Come and help me. There was all kinds of noise in the background. We lived in an apartment, not, a, not an apartment, not high-rise, low-rise apartment complex. There were lots of apartment buildings in the area. I lived like two down. He was my very best friend, and, you know, Still is my friend today. So I got this phone call. I ran out of the house, ran across to his unit, opened the door, and this girl had a baseball bat. And she was, <laughs> she was beating him. Then I, I, I calmed the situation down. I said, please. True story. Half Indian, half black. Calm down. Why, why are you doing this? So she was like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know why. Then she now confessed that it was actually you I wanted. So I, so I told my friend, I said, so you see how God punishes people? <laughs> you see how God punishes people? Mm? You didn't tell me now she's beating you. I got out of that house. I said, Father, thank you. I thought I ended up in Howard Hospital with broken bones. She, she beat him constantly. Yeah, yeah, as a thing. So God helped me deal with him. Anyways, <laughs> forgiveness. Peter, Peter was a guy that was very real. He had very bad, he was, a, he, was a, he was a strange guy. Peter comes to Jesus on a particular day and says to Jesus, um, I have a question for you, Jesus. How many times should I forgive those that offend me? Is seven times enough? The reason why he's saying that, this is my opinion, is that Andrew, his brother, had offended him six times. And he'd been forgiving him that day. So he, he, he wanted to preempt the next offense. He said, God, Jesus, if he does it again, Am I allowed to react? 
seven times. I don't know where, where he got this number. Because in he, I, I just know that something happened. And Peter had been saying, I forgive you, James. I forgive you, Bartholomew. And he said, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. Just give me, is it eight or nine? Just tell me the number. Jesus said, actually, 490 times. And Peter was very disappointed. In other words, Jesus was not talking about a number. He was talking about losing count of offenses. Not keeping score. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Peter was very, very unhappy. So when Peter asked that question and Jesus answered him, Jesus now goes on to use that question as a platform to teach about unforgiveness. Now stay with me and let's read our text. Matthew 18. I'm going to go pretty quickly from verse 23 now. And I'll go down to 35. So Jesus continues after saying 490 times or 70 times 7. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Settle scores. Okay? When he began, or when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. In other words, a judgment had been passed over him. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with, number one, compassion. Number two, he released him. And number three, he forgave him the debt. We'll come back to that in a second. But that servant, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Verse 30 says, And he will not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his other servants or fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35, Jesus says, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if you from your heart, from, <laughs> you see, that from your heart part, I don't like it. I wish it wasn't there. So I can just say, I forgive you. I can just utter the words. He said, from your heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So obviously you see from this text a few quick things that the basis of God's expectation is to whom much is given, much is required. He that was forgiven much should forgive much also. He that has received mercy should also give mercy. That's the principle. That's the principle. Uh, we also see from this that forgiveness is based on compassion and mercy. Because the Bible says his servant, his master had compassion on him. So when you forgive someone, it's because you are having compassion on them. And sometimes you think that, what do you mean have compassion? The person who hurt me is more powerful than I am. Because we always think about compassion as a thing from a, strong, from a, lesser, from a stronger person to a lesser person. But in the, in the instance of 
forgiveness or offenses where someone has hurt you and you let them go, it's because you had compassion on them. It's an act of mercy. That's what the Bible is trying to say. It's an act of mercy. Also, forgiveness is not complete until you release the person. So the Bible says that his master had compassion, number one. Number two, he released him. And then number three, he forgave him the debt. All these are important. And let me just stop here for a moment and tell you how you know that you've released a person. Because some of us say, I forgive you, I forgive you. But you haven't released the person. You're still wishing that something bad will fall down on the snow and snap their ankles. Th that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not complete until you've released the person. So how do you know you've released someone? Um, Ephesians 4 and verse 31 and 32. The Bible talks about bitterness, wrath, malice, um, evil speaking. Actually, let's do it in the Amplified Version if you guys have that. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. I'm jumping ahead here, but I think I just touched on this for a second. The Bible says, let all bitterness, one, and wrath, two, and anger, three, and clamor. The Amplified is great. Calls it perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault finding, slander be put away from you along with every kind of malice or spitefulness or verbal abuse or malevolence. Now, all these things I just listed here, if someone who's hurt you in the past, if their name comes up or if you see them and any of these feelings come to your heart, it means you haven't released the person. Yeah? So it is anger, not sadness, anger. It means you haven't released the person. If there's bitterness, it means you haven't released the person. If there is evil speaking, you're speaking bad about the person behind their back, it means you haven't released the person. If there's spitefulness, spitefulness, fault finding, nothing they do can ever be right, it means you haven't released the person. Those are signs that you are yet to release, even though you think you have forgiven the person. It's, 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 it's such a hard thing, I must tell you. It's such a hard thing, I must tell you. And that's why to forgive is divine. It's not natural. It takes you tapping into the divine nature of God in you to be able to issue and grant forgiveness the way that God expects it to be granted. So you must release the person. You must release the person. I know that the question people have is this, that, oh, Pastor, yeah, in the story you just read, at least the servant begged for mercy. What about people that hurt you and never apologize? Hmm. Am I still obligated to forgive those people? What do you think? I like the fact that your yes is very grudging. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course, I wish not. But yes, yes, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. So for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, is the fact that unforgiveness in itself is a seed. It grows and it morphs. We talked about that last week. So if someone hurts you, the person goes away, never says sorry, never apologizes. That unforgiveness in your heart will not stay unforgiveness for too long. It'll become something else. It'll become bitterness. It'll become hatred. It'll become strife. Anything, it'll become anything that's ugly, that's worse than unforgiveness. So that's why, even if someone says, I hurt you, do your worst. <laughs> it's in your best interest to forgive the person because that seed has been planted in your heart. It will grow. It'll become something else that you cannot recognize after a while. Besides, 
the, the forgiveness that God gave us is to all. I know you guys say, well, Jesus, Jesus expects us to repent and then we get forgiveness. Okay, think about it logically. The forgiveness of God has already been given. Your repentance is just an acceptance of his forgiveness. That's why there's never been anybody that's said, I repent, and Jesus said, your, your repentance is not enough. Do you understand? His, his forgiveness has already been given. So your repentance is just accepting what has been given already. What's already been granted. Besides, an apology, and if you've ever been offended before, and I think a lot of us have experience in this, an apology is almost always inadequate. Have you ever had someone offend you, and they come to apologize, but they make the matter worse? Am I the only one? It's better if you never came. Person now says, well, actually what happened was that you had one that upset me. I'm like, Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that? Is this an apology? An apology is almost always inadequate, including yours. So think about this, by the way. You started to sin practically, your sin nature you were born with, but you started practically committing sin maybe before you were one year old. You started lying. Your mom says, who put this there? Not me. You know, throwing tantrums and all those little things that little kids do, and you, you've been living in sin perpetually. Now, one day, you stand before the altar and say a 10-second prayer. And for some reason, Jesus for, accepts your apology or your repentance and forgives you. Do you really think that that was an adequate apology? No, tell me. Do you think that when you gave your heart to Jesus, that repentance you did covers everything that you've ever done? So God is not really expecting you to come and articulate with King James English, Lord, thou sinnest my flesh. God is not looking for that. He's just looking for remorse. And he says, even though your, your repentance or your apology or what have you is completely inadequate, you still have my forgiveness. I don't see anybody who comes to the altar with a list and says, Pastor, since I was one, I've been recording all my sins. These, they, let me say everything before Jesus can accept me. You will never say everything. So an apology is almost always inadequate anyways. It just feeds our flesh. It makes us feel superior that, yes, at least they apologized and they didn't take advantage of me. That's really what it is. That's really what it is. But the ultimate proof is that Jesus was on the cross. He was dying. The people who offended Jesus never had a chance to apologize, and he forgave them. While he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. None of those people repented before he gave forgiveness. So he, whilst they were offending him, he was forgiving them. If they came back later, well, that's just a plus, but it's not a requirement. And so in our lives, when people hurt us, or when people do things to us, and we say, well, they must apologize, and the apology was not right, and they, the, the truth of the matter is that an apology is always inadequate. No one can fully articulate to you how what they did made you feel. But pastor, it means that they're taking advantage of me. That's the definition of grace. We taking advantage of God. That's what grace is. We, all of us, taking advantage of God. That's what grace is. So why don't you want to be taken advantage of? So what are the dangers of unforgiveness? The first danger is that unforgiveness cuts you off from the mercy of God. The Bible says that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Unforgiveness is so dangerous, so dangerous, because it, 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 it cuts you off from God's mercy. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, so shall your father, 
do to any of you that does not from his heart forgive. In other words, I will withdraw my forgiveness if you don't give forgiveness. And everything we get from God, by the way, is on the platform of mercy. So if anything cuts you off from the mercy of God, that is a problem. That's a problem. Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if you cannot obtain mercy from God, you are in trouble. So you cut yourself, you ostracize yourself from God by unforgiveness. It is dangerous. It is dangerous. Unforgiveness is dangerous because it is an unforgivable sin. I know we have one, one unforgivable sin in the Bible, which is sin against the Holy Spirit, but the second unforgivable sin in Scripture a lot of people don't know is unforgiveness because forgive us our trespasses, come on now, as we, simple, there is a dependency there. So if we want forgiveness from God, it means that we must give forgiveness. We must give forgiveness. Another danger is that unforgiveness will expose you to the enemy. So the Bible says that the master took him and handed him over to the torturers. It's a metaphor for Satan. And so many times, many, many times, when we pray over an issue, not all the time, but in a lot of cases, over and over again, and we're doing spiritual warfare and we're doing battle, I would always ask the person, Do you, are you holding a grudge against anyone? Because when you hold grudges, it allows the torturers access to your life. The enemy will start to poke you because your defense is gone from you. It's gone from you. So unforgiveness would expose you to the enemy. And you see, it's not just that. If it exposes you to the enemy and that's it, it's okay. Well, it's not okay. But it would expose you to the enemy and take your weapons away. <laughs> so let me give you an instance. Let's, let's assume that this is your house and there are a bunch of bad characters around. Unforgiveness doesn't just open your door. It would also take away your gun. Do you understand what I mean? So you have nothing to fight with. You have no grounds. No grounds at all. Like, I mean, zero grounds on which to stand. And you become a victim. It's dangerous also because it grows and it morphs. It's a seed. But the Bible says that there's something called a root of bitterness. So now the seed has become a root. And that root will keep growing in the soil of your heart. It will never stop. And you see, unforgiveness is not something, it's not one of those um, things that, you know, like sometimes you get sick. Maybe you have a headache. You say, just give it time, it's going to go away. I'll rest it out. Unforgiveness is not one of those things. It has to be dealt with. If it's not dealt with, it's growing. And you're not going to know how much it's grown until one day you will say something you will think something, and the Holy Spirit will tell you, how has your heart become so dark towards this person? It's growing, and it's changing form. Bitterness, malice, hatred, all these different elements, wrath, animosity, strife, and all that other stuff, it grows and it morphs. So the only person that can afford to have an unforgiving spirit is someone who will never need forgiveness. And I think we've established already that you will need forgiveness. If, if you know that I'm good, God, I operate from a higher plane, the spirit of peace, 
<laughs> I'm a son of the Prince of Peace. It's upon, well, then you can afford not to forgive. But if you know that you will need forgiveness, then it's something that we must do. And I have two questions for you. The first question is this. Why do you think you remember the negatives that someone has done to you more than the positives? Even though the ratio of positives to negatives is like maybe 100 to 1. That's a very legit question. So let's assume someone offends me. Let me not, let me not use someone here. Someone online. <laughs> Essie. Hi, Essie. Let's assume Essie offends me. She does something to me. She does something to me that causes me grief. I'm not, I'm not happy. Do you know that that one thing she's done, you keep remembering it anytime you see her. However, she's done a hundred good things. I remember when the church was fairly young. You remember? Essie came. Essie was always bringing people. Every Sunday, all the guests were Essie's guests. I didn't know how many people this girl knew. So my point is, but if she does something to hurt me now, I wouldn't remember all that. You remember the one thing that person has done. Why? Someone is reminding you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why. And it's called Satan. Because and leads me to my second question. Do you think Satan knows scriptures? Answer me. Speak to me, please. You, you're sure? Has he quoted Bible before? Okay. To the Lord. To the Lord. He quoted scripture. So, do you think he knows this thing that says that forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? You think he knows that thing? Okay, so tell me why he would not harden your heart. Someone is helping you remember. Husband and wife, you've been married for 10 years. Then your wife does or your husband does something. You say, ah, this one I cannot forgive. For 10 years, he's been shoveling snow. <laughs> Monday, Jesus, have mercy. My wife actually shovels snow with me, so I can't even take credit for that one. But that snow was bad. My back was not the same. He's been taking out the garbage. He's been comforting you when you were sick. He's been your partner for 10 years. Then he does one thing. The enemy will now blow it up. Say, he's a bad man. He's selfish. How can he do that to you? Then you say, no, 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 no. Lawyer. Divorce. Everyone who's ever hurt you, maybe not everyone, but most people who ever hurt you, because they're people that are just perpetual bad news. But most people who've ever hurt you, if you think about it, they've done more good in your life. Then the bad is blown up. It's magnified. So bad. I can't take it. It's because someone is reminding you. Listen. You know that scripture we read? Luke 17, 1. The Bible says Jesus was talking. He said it's impossible that offenses will not come. That word offenses actually has different forms. It translates to temptations. It translates to stumbling blocks. It translates to hindrance. And it translates to dangerous traps. Stay with me. Stay with me, stay with me. So, anytime you're offended, what's really happening is that you're being tempted. Anytime you, you have, someone has hurt you and you're offended, that actually means that there is a dangerous trap. Because that's the interpretation. The scriptural interpretation of that word is temptation. So when the Bible says, lead us not into temptation, you can pray, lead us not into offenses. When the Bible says, God is faithful, and he will never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. In other words, he will not allow you to be offended more than you can handle. So any offense that comes your way, because God knows you have the capacity 
to handle it. It's because you choose not to. It is temptation. So, so this is how I picture this. Because I have to go graphic to let, get, get the message sometimes. Whenever I think about someone and it brings anger to my heart or any feeling that is not positive based on what the person has done, immediately, this is new revelation. This is fresh, fresh off the press. For me, anyways, maybe you guys need to work. I assume that I'm under attack. Yes. It's temptation. <laughs> and I tell myself, I must pass this test. Oh, I must. I immediately assume the worst, the worst kind of voodoo priest that you can imagine. Like there's someone in like a 10-foot red gown, seven-horned guy with a pitchfork. He's standing in my way and about to attack me. That's, I literally feel like I'm under spiritual attack. That's how you should treat offenses. Don't entertain it in your heart. Know that this is a spiritual attack. And I'm not saying that, oh yeah, it's demonic in nature. No, no, no. I'm just saying that the enemy would ensure that you're not able to let go. And he will definitely exploit you in that area. You will pay a price for it. You will pay a price for it. So run a test against the people who've hurt you. The symptoms of if you've released a person, bitterness, wrath, bad speaking. If someone has hurt you before and you cannot see, say anything good about them, whenever people talk about them, if you cannot say anything good, keep, keep quiet. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> those symptoms I spoke about earlier, run the test. If there's any of those that still stays in your heart concerning that person, just declare attack, attack. <laughs> I am under siege by the enemy. That's exactly what it is because he will use it and it will cost you. You will pay twice. The person will hurt you and go their way. Then the enemy would exploit that platform to make you pay a second price. So you need to ask God to help you remember the good that people have done sometimes. So that you're not just hearing the one that Satan is telling you about the person. He will harden your heart. And then you become your own enemy. Jesus did more harm than good. I mean, more good than harm. More good than anyone else. He healed the sick, fed people. And look at the kind of betrayal he, he, felt he was subjected to. His own disciples, including this Simon guy, abandoned him. Simon even swore. I swear, I don't know him. Do you forget, Simon, that he healed your mother-in-law in your house? Do you forget that he's the one that revealed to you your prophetic destiny? The people who ate his bread, the ones who were healed on the way to Jericho, said crucify him. So Jesus was, he had every reason to be offended. Well, how did Jesus deal with offense? How did Jesus deal with offense? So practically, how should you deal with offense? The first thing I'll say to you is this. Remember that to forgive is divine. Don't try to forgive someone with your human side. It will never work. You have to tap into the God element in you. You have to confess. <laughs> I have the mind of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. It's, it's your regenerated side that I can forgive. Because left to your human side, you want vengeance. You want to see the person pay for what they did. You don't want them to go scot-free. You feel taken advantage of. It is divine. To err is human, but to forgive is divine. So handle it as a spiritual thing. 
not a physical thing. Second thing you must do, practically, is you must always pray for your heart. David was an expert. David was the guy who prayed for his heart all the time. He said, try my heart, oh God, search my heart. If you see anything, scan, if you see anything in me at all that does not align to your will, he says, deal with it. You must be honest enough to bring your heart before God and say, this is my heart, God, try this heart. If there's any darkness in it, there's any animosity in it, there's any vengeance, anything in it that is not of you, please deal with this issue. David is the same guy that prays, say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do you pray for your heart? Pray that your heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. Pray that you will have a heart that's quick to forgive. Pray that you will have a heart that does not remember hurts, but remembers the good that people have done. Pray for your heart. If your heart is not right, forgiveness will be a difficult thing for you. Even if your heart is right, it's already difficult. How can Jesus stay on the cross? Like they are literally still doing it to me. And he says, Father, forgive them. What did Jesus do? Practical forgiveness. He gave grace. He made an excuse for them. He said they know not what they do. So give grace to people. The truth of the matter is everybody who's ever hurt you. I know you would think, you would argue this in your mind. They knew not what they do. And I know you say, yeah, they did it on purpose. It's true, they did it on purpose. But really, they were ignorant. Darkness is ignorance. Even if the person is a witch. I say, this person is a witch attacking me. How can you say they don't know what they're doing? Darkness means ignorance. They know not what they do. So Jesus said, forgive them. If they knew better, they would do better. Or if they could do better, they would do better. Jesus said, they know not. He gave grace. What did Jesus do? He did not hold back the good he was about to do for them. Because Jesus could have said, I'm not dying anymore. <laughs> if I was Jesus, oh, no, 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 no. I'll just be like, Michael, Gabriel, get me off this cross. Back to the Father. Right in their presence, I was sent to the Father. I'm not dying anymore. He went forward with his plan and still died for them. When people hurt you, and you, it's in your power to do good for them. Do you withhold it? One of the ways you really, really practice forgiveness is that you look for something to do to help the person that hurt you. So that way you can show yourself yeah, that I have forgiven. And shame on you, devil. Shame on you, devil. He did not hold back the blood. He still died. What else did Jesus do? He prayed for the offenders. And I was talking to someone some, you know, some time ago. I said, this person hurt you, da, 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 you know, let it go and pray for the person. Pastor, I can't lie to you. I can't pray for this person. I said, thank God for your honesty. But that means that your heart still needs work. We're not there yet. And it's a journey for some of us. It's unrealistic to say someone just hurt you now and then by tomorrow you've started praying for them for two hours. No, no, let's be real. But you must pray that God will work on your heart. Pray for the person. I want you to bless this person. Keep them in all their ways. That's a tough thing to do, fam. That's rough. That's rough. The person that would offend you the most, I hope you know, for those of you who are not married, is your spouse. So if you don't learn forgiveness before you get married, hmm? Hmm. your house will be hell. Hell on earth. You know, heaven on earth. Hell on earth. Imagine being in a place where you can't pray for your spouse. Who will now pray for the person? 
You can't pray for your wife. You can't pray for your husband. Who will pray for them if you can't pray for them? Pray for them. Last thing Jesus did is that he did not exact revenge. And he had the capacity. It's different if you cannot do anything. You know, some people hurt you and you wish you could harm them, but you can't. Jesus had all power to hurt these people. He did not exact revenge. When he came back from the dead, he said, go call my disciples and Peter. I would have said, Peter? <laughs> no. I withdraw that calling I gave you. The same people. He did not exact revenge upon them. He treated them as if nothing ever happened. He broke bread with them. Can you eat with these people? That's how you know if you, you know. Yeah. I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you. Can you one-on-one, -on -one, I'm not talking about group dinner. One-on-one, -on -one, you sit across the table from this person and say, let's talk. So how is life? And in your mind, you are saying, I hope you choke. <laughs> I hope you choke on that shrimp right now. <laughs> I hope they left the tail on it. Oh, my God. I'm going to make an altar call for two people today, two groups of people. Those that need to receive mercy and those that need to give mercy. A lot of us are carrying a lot of heavy weights. Let it go. You're not doing yourself any favors. And you're under attack. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's an emergent issue. That's how I treat offense now. If I ever feel darkened in my heart towards someone, I just imagine that there are like seven demons in front of me. So I would not fall prey to this trap. No. It would not happen to me. I'll tell you a story and I close. Some years ago, someone did something to me. I'm not easily offended, generally. I'm just, I'm pretty laid back. I'm offended on principle most times. So I don't sweat small things. But this guy really grieved me. So let me just give you, uh, just for context, all right? right? It's like a guy who maybe came to Canada. He's been looking for a job in Canada for like two years. But I, I knew him. So when an opportunity came up, came up in my, where I worked, I put his name forward as a candidate. I told him what to do, coached him on the interview and all that stuff. I knew he wasn't a great candidate, but I was just filled with compassion for this guy. Told him all the secrets, this is how you negotiate, this is the salary, all that, all that stuff. He went to the interview, one, two, three steps, and he got rejected. You get those emails. I'm sorry to let you know. We decided to go with another candidate. So he called me and said, oh, I just got rejected. Someone called him and someone sent him in. So he got two rejections. They called an email. I said, no, no. I stood up immediately. I was in the office. I went to my manager's office. I started making a case for this guy. See, this guy is good. He's better than me. I knew that this guy was not good. He was good, but I knew he couldn't do the job. Convinced her, went to her boss, which was the director, convinced him this is the guy to hire. After getting two rejection emails, they called him back and gave him the job. Okay? Based on my own standing, I put my own life on online. Now, this guy came into the company. And this same person starts to undermine you. I, ah, that's exactly, that, that same person starts to tell people, everything that he's done is wrong. This is rubbish. Is it Deji? No. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what he's doing. He starts to undermine you on the job that you literally helped him to get. Like, literally helped him to get. This was the guy that I was even telling his wife, oh, thank God for Deji in my life. This job, if not for him, I won't still have a job. And the next morning, he will come to the office and tell the boss, all this stuff, it doesn't make sense. Literally undermining you in a place that matters to you. So I told my wife, I said, 
um, this guy, <laughs> this this dude, me and him, we will not we will not relate anymore. In my mind, that was a spiritual way of saying, you are you are a captive, you are bound in my heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh Jesus! And for some time, I just I didn't relate with him. I'm not talking about many years ago. I'm talking about something that's like two three years ago. Because I was a pastor, so you can. So don't, this one forgiveness thing is a real thing. I'm giving you live, live examples. So I wasn't relating with the guy. He would call me, text me. I just wasn't responding to him. I just treated him like a stranger. That's that's just how I treated him. I didn't wish him bad. Anyways, he got fired on the job, which I, I knew he was going to get fired. But different conversation. After a while, the Holy Spirit started to deal with me on, on the issue of this guy. I said, "You know, you've not forgiven this guy." I said, "What do you mean? Me, I've forgiven him." More. I've forgiven him. I'm not holding him captive. He should go his way. I'll go, his, I'll go my way. We're in bond together. But I know the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to be a victim. So I said I will call him. After like a year and a half, I called him. He didn't pick up. I said, thank God. <laughs> God, you see now, I've done my part. He didn't pick up. I think he was also angry with me that I haven't been responding to him. So both of us were not. Uh, then one day, this guy sends me a text. He says, call me, it's urgent. <laughs> he sent many like that before, which I ignored. But because God has worked on me now, I immediately picked up when I called him. I remember that day vividly, I was driving. I think I went to pick up my kids from school. I dropped them off in school, actually. And the guy said, oh, Deji, how are you? I'm good. So I'm looking for a job. Hey, <laughs> I said, Raiz Kobala Semanda. You are looking for a job. He was calling me. He told me, call me for something urgent. I'm looking for a job. Just find me something. And he gave me an assignment. Get back to me within one week. I, 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 when, when I hung up the call in the car, I never forget. I said, wonders will never I said it out loud. I said, wonders shall never end. I said, God, you are really trying me. You are looking for a job. You, you shouldn't work again. No, you shouldn't work again. I was, I was very vexed. I didn't even tell Buki. I just pretended I was right here. And the Holy Spirit said, now you see you've not forgiven him. So I said, okay, help my heart. Help my heart. Walking with Jesus is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to follow Jesus. And anyone who told you otherwise is lying. That's a fake Christianity. It wasn't easy for Daniel to stand alone in Babylon. And his friends. It wasn't easy. But God can help your heart. But you have to be sincere that you really want to let it go. Because some of us say, God help my heart, but you really do not want to let that person go. Can you talk to God today? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, Download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.